All right, we will go ahead and get started. I want to thank everyone for joining us tonight. Welcome to the Global Math Department. My name is Sheila Orr, and I'm going to be your host tonight. Tonight, we're going to hear from Christine Kerner about feedback without fatigue. Um, if you haven't already, take a moment right now to introduce yourself in the chat. Um, tell us maybe who you are, what you teach, where you teach, um, maybe if you're in-person, hybrid, online, um, whatever you feel like sharing. Um, before I introduce Christine, I just want to explain how these meetings work. So first, they are being recorded, and they the recordings are available within 24 hours after this meeting ends. So if you hear something you want to reference back to tonight, if you just click on the same link you used to get in here tonight, that's going to become the recording in about 24 hours. You can also send that recording on to colleagues, friends, anyone who you think might want to hear what you heard here tonight. Um, also, the Global Math Department, we pride ourselves on being a friendly and supportive community. The chat room is available for, for topical and general conversations throughout the meeting. Um, as we go, I'll kind of pay attention to your questions. Um, so that way then don't worry, they will get answered. And so if they don't get answered along the way, I'll make sure they're answered at the end. So like I said, tonight's speaker is Christine Kerner. And Christine, if you wanna go ahead, take it away and introduce yourself. Sure, hi everyone. Um, my name is Christine Kerner. I'm the Director of Secondary Mathematics for the Oklahoma Department of Education. I've been in my current role for a little over two years now, and prior to that, I taught sixth through eighth grade math and language arts, and I taught a wide variety of ability levels um, and subjects, including algebra, geometry, and sixth through eighth grade mathematics. Um, I had quite a few co-taught classes, but overall, I really feel like every kid is learning all the time. And it's our job as educators to really prepare them um, for the future, but also to enjoy their time in the mathematics classroom in their K-12 experience. And so all of the strategies I'm presenting today really lend themselves to that goal and for students to experience the joy that is mathematics that we know exists, but sometimes we have to convince our students of a little bit. I have my contact information up on the screen and please feel free to email me or tweet at me anytime. Um, I will get back to you as soon as I'm able, but I'd love to answer any questions or start up a dialogue and share ideas. So tonight's session, we're really talking all about feedback. Um, we're going to be first defining what effective feedback even is, what it means, what it can look like. And then we're going to talk about some practices that we can develop as educators to really think about what types of tasks and activities we're implementing in our classroom to lend themselves to feedback, but also ways that we can provide timely feedback to our students um, and really just feedback that won't uh, drain us completely. I've had about 180 students at any given time for every any year. And so I didn't have time to 
devote more than a minute or two to each paper if I wanted to actually have any kind of life. So we're going to talk about some quick ways that we can provide that feedback. And then we're going to actually practice providing some feedback too. Um, we're going to see some real student examples um, and brainstorm some questions and ways that we can provide quality feedback to those students. And so first, uh, I'd like to have us all participate in a mentee. And so if you've never seen mentee before, the teacher end of things is menteemeter.com. But you are going to be a student at this point and go to menti.com. And so that's M-E-N-T-I.com. And I am going to share my screen so that you can see the code that you're going to enter to join. And so you should now be able to see um, a black screen with the question, what is feedback? And if you go to menti.com and enter the code 6652430, you should be able to join. And then what I'd like you to do is just, just um, choose up to five words that come to mind when you hear the word feedback, what it is, what you see, what you associate. And at first I'm hiding your responses just to give everyone a little bit of think time. And then I hope to, yeah, there we go. We have our word cloud forming. And so as the word cloud forms, uh, you'll notice that there are some words that are a lot larger than others. And that means that more people have actually typed in that specific word. Um, and so you can see very big on this screen, we have constructive right now, um, and probably paired with constructive criticism. We have learning as big. And so as we are starting to generate a few more words, what I'd like you to do in the chat, after you've added your five words, in the chat, if you would identify what you notice and what you wonder. And thanks, Sheila, for adding the teacher end URL. Okay, so like I said, um, what you notice and what you wonder. And it can be about the word cloud or about the question. So we have Linda saying, is it always helpful? That's a great wondering. I notice there are more ideas of feedback as positive than negative. Absolutely, Robin. I notice feedback can be a powerful learning tool. Yes, Cindy, for sure. I notice the word encouragement. I love seeing that. 
I also noticed that helpful is very big. And then I also am drawn back to Linda's question about wondering if it's always helpful. Robin says, I wonder how students would respond to the same question of what is feedback? That's great, great point. And so I always um, like doing activities like this um, as an introduction to different units or a new vocabulary word or just um, rating of a different problem or looking at the problem and what they notice or what they wonder about a particular math task. And students really um, gravitate towards this and the word cloud in general, um, you can notice and wonder with too, and then you can generate your goals um, for the class period or for unit even. And so I love using Mentimeter in my classroom, but also I love using Mentimeter with adults too, because you get totally different word clouds every time um, you do different generations. All right. So I'm going to bring it back to our slides and just keep in mind these word cloud words, what we all said. Um, so the learning, the encouragement, the response, helpful, because you basically covered the definition of what feedback is. And so in our classes, excuse me, um, feedback really revolves around communication, whether it's verbal communication or written communication, we're communicating with our students. And that communication is not always just between a teacher and their students. Uh, we also have communication with students with one another. And so we'll talk about that in a little bit. It addresses what's correct about a student's work, but it also, and by correct, and I see that question correct, um, it might be just a piece of the process that you're seeing um, is starting towards a journey of the math test that you're, is in alignment with your learning goals if that makes sense. Um, you're noticing basically what the student is doing, but then you're also elaborating on what students need to do next in order to achieve their goal and solve a given task or problem. You're also making sure, again, to connect your feedback to the learning objectives and standards that you're trying to cover, um, because ultimately you don't wanna stray from your learning goals for the day and for a given unit. And we're going to focus on student work um, and really the explanation and justification of their processes, not just whether they got a right or wrong answer. And we know in our hearts that feedback is important, but we may not always know why. We've been told that feedback is important, um, but when we provide effective quality feedback, we are engaging students and we're engaging ourselves in the learning process. We're learning what our students know and what they don't, and students are learning what they know and what they don't, and they're learning how to goal set, they're learning how to progress forward. Um, it also allows students to focus more on the performance um, of their math work versus, again, the whether an answer is just right or wrong. It gives them ideas about the strategies 
that they're creating for themselves and using to work through their math. And in Visible Learning, um, a book by John Hattie and Helen Timberley, basically they narrow down the idea of feedback into three different goal questions or categories. Um, where am I going? How am I getting there? And where to next? And so when I'm thinking about giving feedback to students, I'm trying to help them answer these three questions. Um, it may only be one question at a time versus trying to answer all three uh, in one conferring session or one feedback session. But I am always thinking about these three questions as I'm making my decisions on what to tell my students. This quote from Alfie Cohn has always gotten me thinking. Um, we have the idea of grades. And although many of our districts require grades, um, they're a way to communicate with parents. Uh, they're a way to sometimes motivate students or sometimes get them thinking about what they're doing well and what they're not doing well. Um, if we only rely on grades as our method of feedback, students aren't quite sure what it is they need to continue to work on and how they can fully achieve their goals. And I give the example of getting a B on a test. You, you and your classroom, you may know what a B means, but I guarantee you that a classroom down the hall or a classroom next door, a B will probably mean something different. And so when students aren't sure of what that letter grade clearly means and how they're doing overall and how they're moving towards their goals and their standards understanding, um, that grade becomes somewhat meaningless. And so we need to add the feedback in and effective feedback in so that students can really grow and learn and thrive in the math classroom versus just landing their grade and deciding, oh, 89 is good enough, or, you know, I got a 71, and so I'm not going to push myself any further. I'm good with a C. Um, we want them to get feedback in ways that motivates them to continue learning and continue forward. And so a big piece of being able to provide feedback is actually selecting tasks that ensure opportunities to provide that effective feedback. And so I'm going to just spend a little bit of time about task selection. Uh, that could be a whole other webinar about task selection, and there's a lot of great resources out there about how to choose the best tasks. But we're going to take a look at a couple different tasks just to show you the difference between the two and how we can provide feedback um, based on the different examples. And so here's the first one. And so I'm going to ask you to enter in the chat, what do you know about this student? So this is a student, they've been given this question, and they've circled C. So what do you know about this student? Maybe that the best guess is C. 
Okay, we have someone saying can't distinguish or understand the relationships between fractions and decimals, can't convert de decimals and fractions. They can order decimals and fractions independently but not together. They can correctly organize decimals from least to greatest and fractions from least to greatest, but maybe not so much with how to switch between. All right. And so what I love about this one is we're math teachers. And so we automatically make assumptions about what the students know. And in this case, it could very well be that the student understood a certain component of decimals or a certain component of fractions or certain organizational strategies. But because we don't see any work here, um, we don't see any justification, we don't see any reasoning, unless this student told us their steps um, in class, we can't necessarily be sure about their understandings or knowledge. Um, they could have gone to a test prep session where they were told C was the most common response on tests. And so they could have just circled C because, well, I have a you know 25% chance of getting it right. Um, but even if you do know your students, you might know a little bit more about their thought process at this point. But when we are choosing tasks to specifically um, provide feedback for our students, we want to have some sense of their level of understanding. And so we're going to try to switch to a different type of task that is really revolving around the same concept, but just adds a little extra. And so now I have three student responses. And so the question is, is negative three greater than negative 14 over three? They have to circle yes or no, but then they also have to justify their response. And so they can't just circle yes or no, they have to provide some work or some reasoning in order to um, fully answer the question. And so now what I'd like you to do is select either A, B, or C, or you can select more than one. Um, but if you would, please just in the chat, say like A, and then what you see in their student work, or B, and what you see or what you notice. Okay, so we have someone saying in B, the student doesn't have a full understanding of the number sense of negative numbers. So they think the number on the left side of the zero goes from greatest to least, uh, from left to right. And they all have some useful understanding. Okay, there are pieces in each of these student responses that we may like or we may encourage. I noticed that because student A used a number line, I can see how they interpreted negative 14 over three. That's a great point. Without that number line, we may not have been quite so clear where they got their answer.
And so overall, we just know a little bit more about these students. Um, we can understand their line of thinking. They don't all use the same exact steps to solve this problem or justify this problem, um, but they all have some valid responses and some unique approaches to this problem and to this task. And so that's another thing that we wanna look for uh, we don't necessarily want tasks where there's only one way to solve or only one way to get the answer, um, but we do want opportunities for students to justify and reason through their understandings. And thanks, Cindy. She added, um, I noticed they could not switch an improper fraction to a mixed number, even though they answered the question right, they still have some misunderstanding. And that's absolutely true. Um, and that's what I love about these formative assessment probes, um, which were developed by Oklahoma teachers and Cheryl Toby. Um, and I will share the link with you in just a little bit. But these probes really uh, allow us to see more than whether they just got the answer right or wrong. We get to know a little bit more about their mathematical understandings and also understandings with the concept. And so just to re-emphasize, we want tasks that allow for student thinking, for some discussion, and for some justification. We want students to be able to dump their brains on that paper and allow us to see what they're thinking um, so that we can provide that feedback and we can help them accomplish their learning goals. And if you would like um, more information on selecting tasks, the five practices for orchestrating productive discussion in mathematics is great. Along with the new series, Five Practices in Practice, those are absolutely incredible books um, that have taught me a lot about task selection. All right, and so now we're gonna talk a little bit more about actual feedback. We've picked some great tasks, um, the tasks are going to allow students to justify. And now we need to know actually what to say to students. And so first I wanna talk about in the moment feedback. So during class time, um, or if you are online, it may be while students are completing an activity, whether asynchronous or synchronously. Um, and we are going to be providing them with feedback right there and then we're not waiting for them to turn in a piece of paper or submit an assignment. And so before we even begin to provide feedback and before students are going to be willing to listen to our feedback, we also need to set up our classroom so that we can allow for some goal setting to happen, um, produce some struggle, but productive struggle, allow for students to reflect on their work and what they want to accomplish next. Um, we want to allow for some peer feedback and we want to involve students in dialogue between each other and with the teacher. Um, in Oklahoma, we have what is called a unit zero. And so that unit zero is a part of our OK Math framework. And teachers who use that 
um, use that unit to develop, to develop a growth mindset and mathematical mindset in their students. Um, that unit focuses all on really just developing that growth mindset by using fun math tasks. And I say fun in quotes because I think everything is fun when it comes to math, but different math activities that really engage students and get them thinking and grappling and struggling, but without the frustration of giving up. And so I think that's really essential before we move into any of these rich tasks or justification tasks is, is to establish that classroom comfort um, with the struggle and really allow students to set goals so they know where they want to go and where their learning goals align to. Along with that, we want to avoid a few things. And I was very, very guilty of the pencil grabbing um, technique. It was very hard for me to watch students struggle. And so I would want to just grab that pencil and be like, here, let me show you. Um, but we want to avoid that because that's taking away their power to make those decisions and really help themselves and work through the problems themselves. Um, so I know it's difficult. It's such a struggle, but we can't be pencil grabbers. Um, I even walked around with both hands held behind my back just to ensure that I would not <laughs> grab that pencil. Um, but along with that, and yes, pockets, Ebony, absolutely. Um, but also we want to avoid giving too much feedback. Um, there was a study done in Vanderbilt that actually showed that students who already knew um, what was going on with a problem actually um, were negatively impacted by feedback when it was about the process or how to solve the problem because they already knew it. And so little by little, that feedback became more and more meaningless to them. And so they didn't listen when it actually would have helped support them. And so we have to be careful about giving too much feedback. At the same time, if we give too much feedback, we're gonna have that student dependence. Um, and so I've definitely had this in my classroom too, where a kid will not get started until I am standing right next to them. Um, or sitting right next to them. And so we have to work to fight that student dependence and really, really, really work um, on providing feedback that just drops a little hint, drops a little knowledge, and we walk away <laughs> so that they can do the work. Speaking of students doing the work, I am a full-on advocate for students doing as much work and as much of their own learning as possible. And so one of the big ways that I provided feedback in my classroom is to ask questions. And one time I asked questions the entire class period and didn't say a single statement. And students got really, you know, eye-rolly at me because middle school, but they also started answering their, the questions and started working towards answers and started working on the process. And so then they realized that I wasn't going to tell them the answer, so they had to find it. And so by asking questions, you're actually developing the feedback for them um, in the sense that you're asking the questions that will lead them to 
discovering the feedback on their own. You're also looking to restate students' understandings, and that could be as simple as, I notice you're doing this. And then you can add the, I'm wondering about this part or this aspect of your work. Um, you can also look to see if a student understands it right away. Uh, you might push them with an extension question. So would this always work? Or how many other ways can you solve this problem? Um, things along those lines so that um, students are still experiencing the curriculum and working within the standards, but they're being pushed in a new direction and with a new challenge. And so the big question right now is how does this look in online teaching? Um, it's tough to provide feedback when you're not standing right next to the student or having mini conferences all the time. Uh, and so one way um, that has been really great is Desmos, yes. And so teacher.desmos.com, if you have not jumped on the Desmos bandwagon, please start tonight. Um, it is so great. There are so many activities for elementary through high school, through college, through beyond. Um, and so what new feature they've added is a feedback tool. And so I have a screenshot here of a teacher dashboard. And so this is a list of sample student responses and I anonymized them so that they are all famous mathematicians instead of their actual student names. And I can see what all of them were responding. And I noticed that one of them is definitely not like the others. There are some that are um, reverse order. So we could look at commutative property, things like that. Um, but there's one that's very different than the others. And so what I can do here is I can actually click on the um, student's response and then up towards the top, right next to their name, there's a little feedback button. And so when I click on that, I am able to ask my question um, or express a clarifying statement. Like I said, I always ask questions because I love making them do the work. And then I can send that feedback to my student. Desmos recently added that you can edit and revise your feedback um, after you send it. So that's great. It also shows if students have read your feedback or not. And so what you could do is have a duplicate slide for students to try again or rework their calculation or equation. Um, and that will notify you that, hey, they've taken your feedback into consideration, they're trying again, and it allows you to have a conversation that way. Right now, students can't respond directly um, through text with feedback, and so you could create a text box on that duplicate slide as well to allow students to comment back or respond back to your feedback. And so now we're going to practice. Um, and so again, if we are online, this may be through Desmos, this may be through a Google form, this may be through a chat box, um, this may be during breakout rooms. Um, but in person, it could be a simple conversation one on one or with a small group of students. Um, it could be during a, you know, project that they're working on, it could be pretty much any task that requires some sort of justification. 
And so what I'm going to ask you to do is look at this student's work. For this one, they were trying to simplify the expression and it's x to the third times x to the fifth. And so look at this student's response and their justification. And I'd like you to come up with at least one question you could ask this student. There are gonna be a few of these, so get your questions ready. <laughs> what do you mean by not like terms? What operation are you using to combine? Do they have to be like terms? Are the rules of like terms the same for addition and multiplication? What does combine mean? Yeah, um, I always like to ask if this were a number to the third power, so like four to the third power, how could we calculate a value for that? And then how do we apply that idea to a variable? How can we use similar ideas with a variable instead of a number? Things like that. So though, and if you notice, all of these are open-ended questions. I didn't ask a yes or no question because as soon as I ask a yes or no question, I get a yes or no response and then a shutdown. And so by asking these open-ended questions, um, I'm more likely to get a response. Sometimes you'll get a shrug or um, a non-committal grunt or something like that. And generally that means that they're really struggling with this one. And so you might need to back up to even doing, well, what do you just notice about this problem? What are some things that this problem is asking you? And so on and so forth. All right, let's try another one. Here we have a little bit of work. Tell me about the two. What does it mean to square something? What is being squared? What operation does the exponent represent? Again, I always go back to what if it was a number inside the parentheses, so like um, five to the third instead of x to the third, how would that change things? And also for this one, it might just be as simple as, can you walk me through your process for solving? because then oftentimes students will be like, well, I did this. Wait, I don't, I don't know why I did this. I should have done this. And they'll fix their own process and mistake. Yeah, Linda has another good question with what does this look like if you expand it? I like using expanded form a lot with these operations, especially with eighth graders, helps them to visualize a little bit better. All right. What about this student?
you shouldn't be seeing any work there. <laughs> Can you describe your reasoning? That's a good one. Tell me how you got that answer and how you came to the solution. Yeah, very similar. I can't see your thinking. Can you explain? Why are the other answers incorrect? I like that. And again, if it's someone who just has no clue or who's just sitting there and not even, you know, attempting a response, just circled A, because that was the first one on there. Um, going back to what do you notice about the expression? What information do you currently know? What information do you need to know in order to simplify this expression? Um, it's okay to be general in your questions. And if you're first starting out with providing feedback and you haven't been teaching very long or you haven't been using questions um, in your feedback up until this point, there are some general questions that you can ask um, that I'll show you in just a moment and they'll work for pretty much anything. And then as you progress and get more comfortable with asking questions, you can start to get a little bit more specific with the type of question being asked. I've got one more for you. And I did this one on purpose. Again, you're simplifying the expression. What if X was two? Would you get the same answer for the original and your new answer? I'll give you a hint, this one, this student is correct. Can you think of a more efficient way to solve this problem? I like that. And even if you ask, can you think of a different way to solve this problem? That could work too. Because they might think this is the most efficient way that they can. <laughs> or you could ask, you know, how else might you model this? And so if they use an area model or algebra tiles or something like that, they could model it that way. Um, what's another expression that is equivalent to this answer? Oh, sorry, Robin, <laughs> I stole her question, thinking about a different way to solve the problem. Um, and then I also do like asking, um, can you walk me through this? Oh, Brandy's asking, is this how you would explain it to someone else? Great. And then we always know that when we can transfer the learning to others, that internalizes it for ourselves even better. So that's great. Awesome. And so the point I want to make here is, you can ask questions to your students who do understand the math concept um, and don't be afraid to offer feedback in that way. Just the goal is going to be that idea of where do we go next? 
And so you're going to really want to push the student to extend their thinking um, and come up with different representations or an equivalent expression or a different way to approach the problem um, so that we're pushing them in their thinking versus making them repeat the same process that they already know. And so I mentioned earlier that there's a list of general questions. You can ask these questions um, before a student starts the first couple, while the student is working the next couple, and then after the student says they are done. Um, and that these questions pretty much work um, for any type of task that you throw at students. I had a few teachers say that they were doing distance learning and their students did not have technology. And so what I would recommend, although it's not ideal, you could send this list of questions home and have students use this as like a choose your own adventure feedback type of sheet, or um, you could give it to caregivers and ask that they ask, you know, a couple of these questions per week um, to their students as they're, or to their, to their children as they're working um, out these problems and asynchronous opportunities, but um, it doesn't provide, you know, the immediate feedback that you would hope that you could provide for your students, but it would be a start uh, for those without technology. All right, I'm coming back for a minute. I, we're about to do what's called a chat explosion, and this is a term coined by Annie Fetter. Uh, she mentioned it last week when I was talking to her. And so for this chat explosion, um, you are going to type your response to the question I'm about to show you, but you're going to wait until I say go to hit send so that everybody has a chance to brainstorm and think of an answer before they hit send, okay? So, don't send yet. Brainstorm your answer. Okay. And I hope you've gotten something in that chat because I'm gonna count down from five and then we're all gonna hit send at once and hopefully it'll be a fun chat explosion. So five, four, three, two, one, send. Ooh, look at all that chat explosion. All right. So what I love about this strategy, if you are on Google Meet or Zoom and you're working with your students, um, having this chat explosion allows for each student to have some processing time and they're not just um, copying off of or looking for influence of other students before responding themselves. And so now we have our unique responses, and then we can scroll back through these and really look for patterns um, in people's reflections and responses, or we can just, you know, say, okay, look through these and 
see if anyone agreed with you or things like that. And so there's a lot of different ways you can use these chat explosions um, for your own classroom. And so we have, you know, starts the discussion, part of the learning process, um, allows you to read the minds so you can offer information, love that, um, provide a different way for students to think about a, pro a process or topic, the student thinks to give an answer to a question, um, helping see the student's thinking, gauge the student's understanding, better understand the student's thought process, all different ways we can use questions. And like I said, this the questions, um, you can use the general ones at first. Those take no time at all to discover. But even when you're looking at your task selection, you'll have some natural misconceptions that you can anticipate. And so you'll be able to generate some questions even before you jump into the in-the-moment feedback. Along with in-the-moment teacher feedback is in-the-moment peer feedback. And so I do just wanna to touch on these ideas. When you get students talking with one another and justifying to one another their process and reasoning, um, you are setting them up to provide feedback for one another. And so I really, again, encourage students to be the ones doing the work. And so some of the ways you can do that is set up some collaborative learning in your classrooms. I know with social distancing, it can seem a little bit difficult, um, but there are digital platforms such as Jamboard, Google Slides. Um, you can use, well, you can use Desmos, that's my fave. I always come back to Desmos, um, but you can also just use breakout rooms, things like that to talk with each other and work through problems. I'm just going to show you a few examples real quick. There's a collaborative learning map that I used in my classroom that had conversation starters and feedback starters on the back of it. So students, um, could be assigned roles and responsibilities, but also so that they could have a conversation and provide each other with feedback, even if I wasn't hovering over their group or working with them at the time. When I had 42 students in my classroom, this was absolutely essential um, because I physically could not get to every single one of my students every class period. Uh, I only had 40 minutes in the class, 42 students, doesn't work for effective feedback um, if I want to really engage them. And so this was a way that I could still have students receiving feedback every day, just maybe not from me. There's also different strategies such as Showdown for small groups and Sage and Scribe for partners um, that allow for natural conversation to unfold and require students to justify the steps that they're taking um, and explain to their partner why they're taking those steps. And at the end of this presentation, I will be giving you a copy of these slides if you want them. And so you can see the details of those strategies and how to use them. Again, for online learning, um, one way that you can use this is through Google Slides. And so um, when you are putting your students in breakout rooms, whether it be on Zoom or Google Meet, uh, there's a new extension for Google Meet that you can put people into breakout rooms, even in Google Meet, which is nice. Um, you can use 
Google Slides and assign each breakout room a different slide. And then you as the teacher can click on the grid view, um, which is on the left hand side of your Google Slides set. Um, and when you click grid view, you'll be able to see each and every group's slide laid out and you'll be able to see them updating those slides in real time. And so you can see um, which groups are working away, which groups have the right ideas, which groups are not recording their thinking, um, and it helps you to know which group to pop into when um, so you can see their thinking and provide that feedback in real time. Okay, we're gonna do another chat explosion. So I went through those pretty quickly, but don't hit send yet. What I'd like you to do is come up with a response for both question two and question three. Give you 20-ish more seconds. That's okay, Cindy. It's hard when there are two questions automatically sends. All right, going fast, I know. But here we go in five, four, three, two, one, enter, send. Oh, I gave you two questions, so it's a little bit slower explosion. That's okay. It's more like a small leak, I guess. That works there. All right, so for how do these activities provide opportunities for feedback? They let students give each other the feedback, which can be way more meaningful. I totally agree, Sheila. Um, students tend to listen to each other a lot more often <laughs> and they value and speak each other's language basically. Um, and then for what can an educator do during these activities to offer additional feedback? Um, lets you see in real time where to visit. Educators can ask more questions or restate a student's question. Okay, we can type into the Google slideshow. So yes, you can actually comment on the slide itself and provide real-time feedback there as students are discussing. Collaborating with others is natural feedback. Absolutely. I do think it's super important to have structures put into place for how students talk to each other, um, just because when you give them a task, they don't always talk about the math, but when you can set up a structure uh, that gets them talking about the math and helps them um, use those mathematical vocabulary language tools and um, appropriate sentence starters, then they're really going to dive in and get deep with feedback. And then you as an educator um, can help just by supporting that group conversation, encouraging the facilitation of that conversation, um, and swoop in for misconceptions only when necessary. Okay, and so we also have the after the task feedback. And so 
the majority of feedback I provided was actually in the classroom, in the moment, um, with conferring, with conferencing with my students, um, and really trying to talk to them and get an understanding of what they knew and what they didn't. The after the task feedback is still important and still provides a, an opportunity for you as a teacher to reflect, but we have to be careful with after the task feedback because when I taught writing class especially, but even when I taught math, um, when I would spend, you know, an hour on a given, you know, paper or project or anything else providing feedback, I'd take careful notes and really ask great guiding questions and really focus on what students needed to do next. I would give it back and they would take one look at it and they would throw it in the garbage. And it got a little better when I removed the grade, then they kind of glanced at the feedback to get an idea but then they just went on infinite campus or whatever grading system you have and they checked their grade and figured it out and again, threw it in the garbage. And so the feedback that we're gonna provide them needs to be purposeful and it needs to be brief. And so I would just say, again, have students do the work, have them comment on each other's work, have them use a rubric and grade themselves, um, grade each other and explain why they would provide that grade. Um, there are different activities and strategies you can use to get students presenting to one another uh, to provide more opportunities for that feedback. They can present their finished products and students can comment along those lines. Um, or you can use the um, my favorite mistake or my favorite no activity to where you gather all student work um, and then you organize students understanding or not understanding and you pick out one or two of your favorite mistakes, um, mistakes that either a lot of students made or there's something really great about their process, but they strayed from getting to the final product um, and you have a class discussion about it. And Robin type, my favorite no is amazing and love using it. I love using it too. Um, there is a teaching channel video. If you just search my favorite no, um, that will walk you through how to do that. But that is a way of using feedback to help um, an entire class versus just spending so much time on one particular student's response um, and only to have them not even look at it. For online, oh, Sheila, it's like you were reading my mind. So uh, we, I love using Desmos for the snapshot tools. And so you can do this while students are working on the activity um, in the moment or you can do this outside of it, um, but you can take snapshots of student responses and student work and you can categorize them and group them. And then you can use my favorite no um, strategy still as a whole group discussion, or you can take these categories and push them out to students to respond to individually with a what, you know, what do you notice? What do you wonder? How are these responses similar? How are they different? Um, was this student correct in their thinking? Why or why not? You know, things along those lines. OK. 
Okay. And I am running low on time, so I apologize for going quickly, but I want to make sure that you get the information that you need. And if you have questions, you're able to ask them. But additional considerations for feedback. One thing I always did, when, whether in the moment or after the fact, is I categorized student work. Um, and so when I was walking around the classroom, I would have my little clipboard or um, I would have more than likely I would have post-it notes because I didn't make my clipboard copy for the moment. So I would just do a little post-it note. I would put a student's initials after I asked them questions or looked at their work. Um, I would put the student's initials and then I would put either a UE, a U, an MC, an MM, a zero. I wouldn't put an A because they were absent. So I just recorded that on attendance. But these helped me to understand what a student was understanding about a certain math concept um, and what they were struggling with. And then I had a Google form that I filled in at the end of the day, not at the end of class because there were only three minutes between classes and didn't have time to plug it into a Google form. But at the end of the day, I plugged in the students' names, um, what the concept was, and their level of understanding. And that way, I knew where they needed to go next. Um, and then for parent-teacher conferences, I could come back and say, well, um, for this concept, your child was having a misconception with this concept. They were doing this instead of this. Um, or your student just is struggling with fra comparing fractions and decimals, but they understand, you know, the idea of one-step equations just fine. Um, and so I had that data that was relevant to me and useful to me. I do have a Desmos activity um, where you can practice categorizing student work. And I do want to stress that you are categorizing the work and not your students. Your students may have no understanding of a concept one day and a thorough understanding the next. And so we can't make assumptions about our students. We need to strictly look at the work in order to categorize. And then we can use that categorizing to really help us um, provide the feedback that they need or move into our tier two or tier three levels of instruction. And so we unfortunately don't have time for this part of the fun activity, but I do want to make sure that I share my slides so that you can play the little Desmos game that I have in there um, and so that you can review all the student work. I also have several um, additional links and resources for providing feedback for your students um, and additional global resources that you can use, including our Oklahoma Math Framework, which has suggested learning progressions from pre-K through Algebra 2, as well as um, lessons, activities, um, and in-depth objective analysis, and then our formative assessment probes, which are the sampled tonight in the slides, again, developed by Oklahoma teachers and Cheryl Toby. All right, and so you can get a copy of these slides by going to bit.ly 
slash GMD all caps feedback 2020. And then you should, it should prompt you to make a copy. Um, that copy will be your own. You can play with it however you would like. Um, and then if you have any questions, please, I can stay on for another few minutes if that's allowed, but also please don't hesitate to email or um, send me a tweet. Thank yes. you so much for coming tonight. Thank you so much for your wonderful presentation. Um, so yes, the actually the room stays open for about an hour. So okay. other people have, you do not need to stay for an hour. <laughs> I know it's everyone's probably got work tomorrow on the East Coast, it's getting late. Um, but it is open if other people have questions that they're interested in. Um, otherwise, we thank you and also thank everyone for coming. Um, so the global math department is switching. Just if you are interested in attending other ones, you're switching to an every other week format. And, and so in two weeks on the 15th, we're going to be learning about how to use Delta math for distance learning. Um, if you had registered for tonight, you will probably get an email to have you register to like invite you to attend that one. So you don't have to like try to remember the 15th. I'm sure they'll email you. Um, but yeah, otherwise, thank you again. And thank you everyone for coming. This is wonderful. Thanks everyone. And if you have any questions,